Romans chapter 8, and we got down through uh, probably verse 25 or so last time. And the quick review, I realize we've done this so many times as we've looked here that you've probably got it memorized, but if you've got it memorized, then that's a wonderful thing to have memorized. But just a quick review of Romans and the first few chapters, you got mankind's fall into sin the complete and total depravity of mankind after the sin in the garden. That sin was passed down. It could not be helped, could not be prevented. Man in the world is destined to fall deeper and deeper into sin. Man in the church, man in religion is destined to fall into deception and think they're righteous when indeed they're sinners. And there was no hope for man. Man was in a place with absolutely zero hope of his own self or of his own race. There was no hope man was going to produce somebody that was going to overcome the curse of sin. So the Lord Jesus, God Almighty, God the Spirit, intervened in man's affairs in chapter uh, 3, the latter half. You're going to see that God's righteousness prevailed. That God provided a Savior in Jesus Christ that would pay the sins of man bring man into salvation separate from the law. The law that could never make us righteous. God made a way for us to be righteous without having to come through the law by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Then he focuses chapter 4, a portion of 5, on the fact that it's without works, separate from my works. It's the work of Christ Jesus, our trust in that, and God imputing righteousness because of our faith that makes us to be justified in the kingdom of God. Then we saw the regeneration of salvation. Not only when somebody is saved are they justified and declared to be right, holy, innocent, and pure in God's eyes, but their life in this world is changed by the indwelling of the Spirit of God. God at salvation eternally justifies that person that's saved and He moves into their heart by the Spirit and makes that new creature out of them. Their life is now different by the grace of God that dwells in them. And so we've been looking now in the last chapter, chapter 8 here, at the, the warfare in a sense that goes on in the saved individual Certainly God has regenerated them that are saved. There's still the carnal nature there that we war against. And there's still trouble. There's still trials. There's still afflictions that we endure in this life. Now, afflictions of this life does not mean we're not saved. doesn't mean that God doesn't care. We're going to see that through here. But we see that God has subjected those that He saved unto a hope. So we got down to about verse 25. In 24 he says, We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? God has left His people an expectation of a redemption yet to come. Knowing that we have received eternal salvation, justification, we've received that now, by the indwelling of the Spirit, but there's yet more to gain at the end of this life. I believe Paul 
himself was encouraged by that and he encouraged others with that fact that though you endure afflictions in this life, it's only for a season, it's only temporary, and the glory that's yet to come in them that have been saved by the work of God in their heart far outweighs the trouble and affliction of this life. So though we can't see it, and you know with a natural eye, when trouble's surrounding you, that's what you see naturally, and it looks impossible that anything good's ever going to come at any time. But we've got the expectation, not that we've seen, but that's yet to come by the Word and the promise of Almighty God. So he says as well, not only has God left us a hope, and I, I mean, we don't want to make light of that, a hope of eternal redemption from the trouble and the sin and the curse that's in this life. That we're going to be delivered from this life into eternal life in the presence of God without the trouble that's come with the curse of sin. We'll be free from that in a body that is free from that in a place where there is no sin to glorify and honor the God that redeemed us forevermore. That that Paul says is far better than this life. He also wrote that the glory that's yet to come exceedeth far more the light affliction that we face today. An eternal salvation that's yet to come. Now the church, when she's in affliction, she can look to that and say this is temporary, but we have a redemption that's yet to come that's eternal, certain, and steadfast in the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 26. So we've got the hope that helps us to endure affliction. Likewise, in the same manner, is what that word means. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, helpeth to cooperate, to lift on the other side. That's the definition of that word. You can see that. I can see that as I read that definition that I'm going to carry this. This is not too heavy, but it's awkward. makes a big difference to have somebody cooperate with me and lift it on the other side. Well, the Spirit is there to help us as we navigate this life, really not just in afflictions, but the Spirit is there to, to guide us, to lead us, to give us wisdom, to enlighten us on our pathway of life. And as we would endure afflictions, the Spirit of God is there to succor, to aid, to lift on the other side those that are saved. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So not only do we have an eternal hope after this life, but also the indwelling presence of the Spirit, which is God, inside of every believer. In Matthew 28, verse 10, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. 
I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So the promise of God is redemption after this life, but from now until that redemption, He is going to be with us in the presence of the Spirit in the inward man, such that those that are born again and in the family of God, they're never left alone through all of their trials and troubles. Now, when, when you get to a dark place, the devil says he's forgot about you. I believe the devil says that every time. You can't reach him. And that may be the case. We may be in a place like Job was in, where that he had hid his face from him. And Job's going to pray and can't get a hold of him. We may feel that way. We may feel the darkness of affliction around us, but we've got the promise. Now, what's worth more, how I feel, or what the Word of God says? Which is more valuable? Which is more true? Well, I feel like that God's just left. I feel like that God's departed. Well, I say this, if He indeed has, if that's true, you're lost. But now just because I feel like it, if I'm born again and saved, just because I feel like God's not hearing, or that God's not with me, or that God's forgot, that my feeling and what I think does not overrule the promise that the Lord Jesus gave me. And I can still bow on my face in the midst of that darkness and say, God, you promised, and I believe that you're still with me. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. That is a promise that you can stand on. And when the devil says that he's forgot, know that he said... He would never forget that shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the wicked. You know what that is? When he throws that lie to me, I say, I'm believing this promise. And if I believe this promise, that lie cannot bring me down. My faith and trust in what God said quenches the lie of the devil. That's the way it works in every place. I believe you can see it very well there. In John 14, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is overlooked as how important that His office is in this salvation. John 14, verse 26, But the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the Lord Jesus now says the Father is going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. He's coming in my name. Now all of these, 
all of the, the Trinity is working together for the salvation of God's elect. They are all co-equal and they all work together for this purpose and for this cause. They've got one will, one desire, one work that they're accomplishing. They all three are equally important in this work. Yes, it was necessary that the Word be made flesh in the body of Jesus Christ, bleed and die, that we could have and receive the forgiveness of sins. That was absolutely necessary in order for us to receive salvation. But know this now, in order for me to be saved, and be washed in that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was equally important that the Spirit of God bring me the Word, enlighten me, and draw me to the Savior. Even with the work that Jesus did on the cross, if you delete the Spirit from the picture, I'm not coming to be saved. I'm not coming to regeneration. I'm not coming for justification because I'm cursed by sin, I'm blinded by the devil, and I do not realize my need for repentance. So you can't have the work of souls being saved without all three of the Trinity working together. Yea, the Lord Jesus is important. The Holy Spirit is co-equal and equally important in the work of redemption. He is there, present, and the the book says here that He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Now we can teach, John Wayne can teach, Greg can preach, men can preach, we can preach it from the book, and I'm telling you, you can get it down and read it right out of the book and just give definitions. Where that people can't say, that's just your opinion. You can read it right off the page and tell them what the hard words mean. And you know what man says? I don't believe it like that. That ain't the way I think it is. God really ain't like that. That's really not the way that it is. You know what's necessary? The Holy Spirit to teach man these things. The Holy Spirit to pull down the strongholds of opinions and thoughts and ideas that's in the heart and in the mind of man. The Spirit pulls those things down and He establishes the truth in the heart of man. It won't be by man's teaching that man's mind is changed and established. The Holy Spirit will have to teach The Holy Spirit will have to open the mind. See, we're left in a place now. I'm in a place that's hopeless because of my sin. God's got to intervene for me to be saved. Well, now we're in the church. We're in the family of God. We're children of God. But you know what I still am? I'm still 100% reliant upon the power of God that His work might be done. That's where the church is. At no time does God turn us out and say, well, you've graduated. You go do it yourself now. You know what to do. You know what to say. You go out and do it yourself and I'll, I'll be there if you need my help. 
That's the way the church would like to operate. That's the gospel that's preached a lot of times. We need to do it ourselves, and if we get in trouble, God will come help us out. But Jesus told His disciples, as they're there in the upper room, He said, you stay here, and you tarry here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. There's something that's going to overcome you that's going to enable you to preach the gospel and accomplish the work of God. And it was the Spirit. Again, the Holy Ghost. He's there to guide to the truth. He's there to teach us all things. And it is the peace of God. Not the peace of opinion. Not the peace of I think. But God gives man peace in the inward man by the presence of His Spirit. I've got the Word of God. I do. The Word of God is there that I can trust in, that I can believe above all my feelings. But boy, the Spirit of God, when He does pass by, when He does flare up, you could say, in my inward man, what peace that's present in the presence of His Spirit. Peace I leave with you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't fear, don't doubt, Trust in the work that I've accomplished knowing that the devil is going to come to try to knock you off the foundation. He's going to come with lies and deceit. And friends, if it were possible, he would deceive the elect. Jesus says that in Matthew 24. If it were possible, he would deceive the very elect. But that tells me that it's not possible for the elect to be deceived. Now why is that? It's by the work of God. Those that are saved, they're indwelled by the Spirit that guides them to the truth. The Spirit won't let them. And in them that are lost and undone, the Spirit will enlighten them. It's by the work of God that these things are accomplished. And if we, if we leave now the principles of the Word of God, and we forsake the Holy Ghost, you know where we're heading? Into deception, into opinion, into tradition, into religion, and away from the true power of God. You know, I I don't like being powerless in the flesh. I want to feel like that I'm doing and accomplishing and that I'm, I'm doing something good. Would you say that the grace of God is always present there with the Spirit? I would say the grace and the Spirit are words that are the same thing. The divine influence of God in the inward man. I would say the grace of God is the Spirit. That's manifested. I don't think you could separate them. Right. It's always present. I'm talking about the spirit of grace. Yes. Jesus had that spirit of grace, didn't he? Sure. Because he, you know, for by grace are you saved, unmerited favor, divine influence, just like, but with that grace, you take Lazarus, he was dead. Sure. They had to be a quickening power there 
with that grace. Sure. You see what I'm trying to say? Right. That grace was quickening. By grace are you saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That'll tie in what you just got through explaining to us how man thinks that he can just bring God down and pray a prayer with somebody without the preaching of the gospel and save him. Can't work. work that way. You know what's happened is the doctrine of the Bible's been left off. The, the necessity of God doing the whole work is forgotten. And when we lose that doctrine, that it's by God's choice, by God's power, by God's drawing and God's changing, when we lose that doctrine, we're led astray into, well, let's get them in. Let's get them saved. A noble cause, a right desire that's misled by a lie and is deceiving people into that that is not the redemption of God in Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous work. He says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So you think about this now with that verse. And I believe I've, I've used this before here, but we have representatives in the government that we elect and they're there to represent us before the government. But the truth is the majority of them has no idea what it's like to live in my shoes and in your shoes. They don't know what it's like to have to go buy groceries. The God's truth, they don't have any idea the way you and I navigate this life. Well, he's saying, we don't have a high priest that's disconnected from us, that I can go and sit down with and say, you know, I've got a problem with this right here, and then be clueless. We don't have a high priest like that. The Lord Jesus came, and I'll tell you where he walked. He didn't walk in the king's palace. He didn't walk in the colleges and in the places of high education. He come down to the lowest place he could come and there he walked among mankind. And he navigated every part of this life and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So when I go to him with that that's troubling me, he's not somebody that's disconnected and does not know what I'm talking about. He's endured it. He's seen it. He's been there. He's been there not just in presence. He's been there in the flesh and He's faced it Himself. So that's what He's saying there. Yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace so because of our high priest. That's why we can come boldly we have a high priest that is at the right hand of God, not at a type and a shadow in Jerusalem, but we've got a high priest that's at the right hand of Almighty God that's offered one sacrifice that's been accepted, that knows what it's like to live our life because we've got Him there at the right hand of God making intercession. I can get on my knees and pray boldly Pray without fear. 
Pray without worry, not because it's my words, but because of my high priest that's there to carry my prayer unto God. That's what the high priest was there for in the Old Testament. They brought their sacrifices. They come down to, uh, to pray unto God. The high priest was there to burn the incense that the prayers could be acceptable. He was there to burn the offerings that sin might be forgiven. He was there as the go-between between the regular old person and God Himself in heaven. The Lord Jesus is that go-between today. And if, if they could come, you think about Aaron. Aaron was an honorable man, I believe, in his position as the priest. And if Israel could come to Aaron and give him their sacrifice and say, Aaron, he is a good man. He's chosen by God. I believe that man's going to take my sacrifice and offer it the right way. And I believe that Aaron's going to do it and I can pray and be forgiven. Now that's the way they had to do. They brought it to Aaron and trusted he was going to do the right thing with it. I tell you, have we not got one that's greater and more trustworthy than Aaron? We can come boldly through our high priest that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So when we're in need, what is it that we look for? Compassion and the influence of God in the inward man. Now what, what is it? I believe over and over again you see what, what do we stand in need of? When we're in trouble, what do we need? When we're in service, what is it that's needed? When we, uh, when we would like to help somebody else, what do we need to be a help and be a benefit? What is it that we ought to pray for and seek after? Compassion and grace. The Holy Ghost of God to stir us up in the inward man, to bring... I tell you, when, when things are unsettled, He can bring peace. When we need a word to say, He can put a fit word. Me and John Wayne, I believe, were talking like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. That's what a word fitly spoken. It's like that's in Proverbs. There, the Holy Spirit can speak a word that's as an apple of gold in a pitcher of silver. He can give you the word that fits. When, we, when we're laboring to teach, when we stand to preach, when we gather as a church, when Anthony, when Kevin, when they're going to stand to open up, what ought we to pray for? We need the presence and the mercy and grace of God in the inward man. The Spirit. The Holy Ghost. That's what's necessary for the work of God to be accomplished. Jesus said, you know how to give your children good gifts. Doesn't the Father know how to give the Spirit unto them that ask? I tell you, everywhere you look, you're brought back to the same place, to the same well. You're brought back to God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, each and every time. And so, back in Romans now, we've looked at a bunch of different places and there's always, there's always many more places you can look and find examples of what we've been reading. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for. We don't even know. That word know there 
Let me find the definition where I've wrote it. Sometimes I get so many. To see or to perceive. So we, there's times that I don't know really what I ought to ask God for. There's times now, there's times that I think I know. There's times that I've asked for things that afterward I look back and say, God, I thank you that you didn't give me what I was asking for. But there's also times that I don't know the God's truth what I should ask for. I don't know what's going to be best here. What does the church do when they're in a place that they don't even know what to ask for? I've, I've been there. When you're going for a test and you think, well, Lord, it'd be good if they could find something and they could do surgery or give some medicine and it fixed the problem. But you know it'd be good if they didn't find anything and it just got better over time. Now, which one you pray for? Which one's best? I don't know. I'm in a place in that situation that I don't know what I ought to ask for. You know what I pray then? God, work your will. You know. Now that's what the Spirit does. He maketh intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Spirit, and listen, let's look at the next verse. They go together. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit, when he makes requests, because He and God are one, and because they are co-equal, the Spirit is not asking God to do something for me that is not in God's will. You see that? They agree in one. The work is grace to me to show me what the will of God is for this situation. The truth is now, every single time, that's what I need. I need God to reveal to me what His will is, and then I can have peace no matter what's ongoing, knowing that this is the will of God. The Spirit maketh intercession. So in in James chapter number 4, let's look at some Scripture. James chapter 4 Verse number 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. So here's a reason that some prayer is not answered. It's not asked for the glory of God. It's not asked for that God's name would be exalted. It's asked for because that's good for me. My flesh. There, there we find a, a, a warfare in prayer. Because I want what's best for me in the flesh. But you know in the inward man, I know that God knows what's best, whether I think it is or not. 
So you've got this warfare, and that's what he's talking about in James. These wars and fightings that's among us. We've got that grace of God warring against the outward opinion and the outward thought. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse number 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So the Spirit of God is there to aid. He's there to aid me in my prayer, in my request unto God. That as I pray, He can guide me to a place of understanding and revelation. And when I'm in a place of confusion and fear, He can make intercession for me that is right and holy even when I do not know and realize what the right and holy thing is. If we pray in the flesh, we pray for what's good for the flesh. We pray for what I want and what I think is good and what's fit. But you know, God, who is infinitely wise and knows even the end from the beginning, you're talking about now, if you believe, if you amen, whether audibly or quietly, what Darren said this morning, you believe in a God that probably 6,000 years before at the foundation of the world, before then, He looked down and seen you living as you were today and planned to redeem you way back then. Now, God with that kind of knowledge, you're telling me He don't know what's best for His people and His church. Well, I don't want to be here well, in the flesh, we never do. But God's Spirit is there to be our aid in prayer and in strength. Remember, Paul prayed unto the Lord that the Lord would remove a thorn in the flesh. And Paul prayed three times to this end. Paul wanted the thorn to be removed. It was troubling him. He didn't enjoy it. He wanted that problem to be taken away. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. So now the old saying that prayer changes things, and I believe this is what's intended by that often, is I'm going to get down, and because I say the right words, God's going to move everything in my way out of it. And He's going to do everything I ask Him to do. That old saying's not true. Paul got down three times and asked God to remove a thorn. Paul, who outlabored all the apostles, not just some church member somewhere that you can say, well, now that one, they didn't get that because they didn't believe God. Their prayer wasn't answered because they hadn't done enough good in order for God to answer it. Now, when you're going to start saying that my prayer is going to do all these works, then when the works aren't done, we're going to have to find a reason to explain it. And that right there is what I often turn to. 
Well, they didn't believe hard enough. They didn't pray right enough. They must not have been praying loud enough. Or they wasn't good enough for that to happen. Well, none of those things are true because we've got an example, not of a church member in the back row somewhere, but of Paul, the chiefest apostle, hand-chosen and selected by God for that office with a thorn in the flesh troubling him and he gets down on his face not once, not twice, but three times and says, God, remove this from me. And God says, Paul, I'm not removing it. I'm not doing what you're asking, but my grace is sufficient for you. What changed by God's answer to that prayer? The situation was not changed. But Paul went from now, he went from being on his face saying, God, remove this, to after God gives the answer, Paul says, I will then... Rejoice! Because His strength is made perfect in my weakness. You know what was changed? Paul's mind about the situation was changed. God enlightened Paul by the grace in the inward man. Paul was praying it be removed. God says it's better that I don't remove it, Paul. I'm going to get more glory if the problem persists. So I'm going to strengthen you and help you through it. Don't pray about it anymore. Ain't that something? Is that not what happened? That's what happened. God directed Paul to pray and desire what was good, what was best, and it was against Paul's will and opposite to his prayer. God done opposite what Paul asked and in the end Paul was happy about it that's the way God works in the hearts of them that believe God works by his power by his grace to accomplish his will what we need is grace that we might see understand James says have wisdom that we might have the peace of God in the inward man so with groanings in Psalm 55, I, I believe you can see a, a picture of this. Psalm number 55, verse number 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. So now David's in a place of prayer, and he is so broken, it don't say he's saying words, but a noise is all that's coming out. Now man thinks as well that prayer being heard has got something to do with how loud that I talk with my mouth. And I believe you can see evidence of that. It's either that or they're being loud so that everybody can hear and recognize what a great prayer that they really are. Now, when I pray, I pray audibly. I do that here. I do that at home. I do that where I pray. 
And that is for the necessity, especially here when others are praying. I can hear me and not be drawn away with what's going on around me. But audible prayers, that's not what God is down. He's not with His ear down here listening for my voice above everybody's voice in here. And when we pray, I tell you, we don't have to worry about whether God can pick my voice out of the crowd. He's not listening to the voice. If He was, how could He have made any sense out of what David's doing here if he's crying and he can't even make a word come together? Hannah was there praying in the temple and Eli thought she was drunk. Now, I don't know whether she was just weeping, if she was making a racket that didn't make any sense. I'd say both of those are true. But he couldn't make any sense out of what she was saying. See, it's not in the show of the flesh, but it's through the Spirit of God that our intercession, that prayer is made unto the Lord. And the Spirit carries that out of the depths of our heart, the Holy Ghost makes intercession for the saints. And I can guarantee you that every prayer and every intercession He makes, it's according to God's will and God's purpose in His plan from before the foundation of the world. Because we are, and we're not going to be able, we're not going to be able to get down into it, but we're in the hands of a God that's in control of everything. Everything is controlled and ordered by the hand of our God. Now either that is, that's true, or God's partially in control and some things just fly off the handle and God's got no, uh, no way to overpower that or God allows it, however you want to say it. Or God's got zero control and everything's left up to man. Well now, if God's got zero control or if God's only partially in control, then what good does it do for me to pray to a God that can't do anything about where I'm at? Do you see that? Be like asking somebody for help that can't even help their own self. They can't do anything for them. What would make me think that they can do something for me? Well, I tell you, if God's got no control over our world, then why am I going to pray to Him about my life in the world? But now, I believe you can see the flip of that as well. If God's in control of everything, then what couldn't I go to God about? Right? True. I, I believe we're going to see that as we go down through here. So he that searcheth the hearts to seek by inquiry to investigate. So who's searching the heart of man? God. God is the searcher of the heart of man. Knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, the inclination or purpose, because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So they have the same will 
the same purpose, the same determination. They are working together for the same cause. You see, you see that that's, that's what's happening here. When I'm praying against the will of God, the Spirit's not taking that up there. The Spirit's praying according to the will of God. He would like to get me to the place, and I, that's wrong wording. I apologize for that. By the Spirit, He's going to get me to the place that I need to be, that the work and the will and the purpose of God would be accomplished through me. I believe that that is precisely what happened to Jonah. God got Jonah to a place that he was going to do what was against Jonah's will. And that's the way God works through the Spirit and by His overcoming grace in the church. So in Matthew chapter 6 now, we've got this promise from God to His church. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speech. So vain repetitions. You've also got here in this Scripture... You've got them praying standing for recognition. You've got them making their faces disfigured so that people recognize and see how sad they are. Every bit of that is for a show. That's there, not for God, not in the least bit. That's there for you to see, for you to recognize, and for you to hear. God says, Jesus says here, they have their reward. You know what they've got? They've got the recognition of men. Men's hearing their prayer. God's not. Men's seeing their faces. God's not. God's not hearing and acting and answering anything that they pray. It's not real. It's not genuine. So, he says to pray in secret that the desire would be seeking after the face of God and the will of God to work down in the depths of our life, heart and life. So he also says here in chapter 6, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat. I'm sorry. What you shall drink, nor yet for your body what shall you put on. Is not the life more than raiment, the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? So here's a challenge. Is there anything you can do to make yourself a cubit? That's about two handbreadths, foot and a half. Can you make yourself a foot and a half taller? Can you make yourself a half an inch taller by thinking about it? So, if we're unable by thought, by anxiety, to even add a half inch to us, what makes you think that anxiety and fear and worry is going to change anything that's going on round about us? 
He says, don't, don't be anxious about this life. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. God knows that I need clothes. He knows that I need a house. He knows that I need food. He knows that I need water. He knows what I need to live and navigate this life. He says, don't be anxious about the things and the affairs of this life. There's one thing I ought to concern myself about, first and foremost, and that is, seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It don't say be stupid. It don't say you're going to starve. He says, you put my kingdom first and I'll provide what you need to live in this world. That's God's promise to the church. So that He's making intercession according to the will of God. So, let's go back to Romans now. We've got five more minutes. We can get a look here. So we're to pray... The Spirit's making intercession. And in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So we know this now. Now, that's, that's a strong word. Now, I'm going to see it and I'm going to say, well, I don't know if this is good or not. I don't see, and I've, I've heard this, I've heard this. I just can't see how this is any good for me. I can't see how that this is going to be good. And you, you quote this verse, and that's, that's the thought of man. That's the reply that man gives back is I just don't see how this is good. But we know. Now Paul was absolutely certain that all things... So let's, let's get some definitions. All things work together for good. So work together for good. They are fellow workers to the benefit of. So everything... Everything what? Everything in this life that's working together for the benefit of them that love God. To them who are the called, invited, or appointed according to His purpose, setting forth proposal or intention. So do you know... and? We'll get into it next time, into the depths of these next few verses. But you know them that are saved, they were called, they were appointed and invited. we got Scripture that will go right with that. Now this is what you run into, the argument now that you're going to have against what I'm about to say. They're going to say, well the Gospel called them. They heard the Gospel and they come. It's up to them. It's free will. You heard those words. 
It's man's free will. It's his choice. It's what he wants to do. And I agree, the Gospel did call. The Spirit did draw. That's the part of the work. But now this is what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. So let's break it down into sections. How are you going to argue with that? God from the beginning. What beginning? I mean, you could say, well, the beginning, of, the beginning of your life. I don't believe there's any biblical reason to believe that's true. You could say from the beginning of your profession. Well, boy, that ain't much of a determination. I wouldn't even write that down. That God was waiting on me to do something and then He chose. No, but i tell you what's, what's glorious that from the beginning, as far back as you want to go, I believe you read there in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. When was that? I mean, that's eternity past, wouldn't you say? So here, God hath from the beginning <coughs> chosen you unto salvation through... So God chose to salvation from the beginning... Through, how is He going to get that to us? The means of this, sanctification, purification, cleansing of the Spirit, and belief of the truth. So if you read it like it's written then, God from the beginning chose for this one to be saved, and the way that God was going to do that was through sanctification, the purifying of the Spirit, and believing the truth. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is straight out of the book. The next verse, verse 14. Whereunto He called you by our gospel. So Paul preached, and God called them through Paul's preaching. How did that happen? Was it haphazardly thrown together? Was it by chance? that they heard this message, this was by the foreordained, predestined plan of Almighty God that God chose to save the church at Thessalonica and that Paul's voice would be the voice used to preach the gospel unto them. God called by our gospel to the obtaining Listen to the way this is worded. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God already had it laid up for them. And here, He says in Galatians, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. Paul says of himself that he was separated from his mother's womb unto apostleship. But it wasn't until the Lord saw fit to call him that he was saved. It was all, the work was already done. The salvation of the church is already done, finished, and closed up in Jesus Christ. What's he doing now? He's calling his church into 
the salvation that He's already prepared for them in Jesus. He's calling them here to obtain the glory that Jesus has already conquered, bought, and paid for them. That's what's going on in that Scripture. That's what's going on here. To them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So the church has the hope of salvation yet to come. The church has the Spirit that is with them always and makes intercession for them unto God. The church also has, and you talk about a rock to stand on here, the church has knowledge that God, by His power, has already declared the end from the beginning, and we are today exactly where God plotted and planned for us to be at. And when things fly crazy down the line in my life, I can trust God in the midst of the most insane affliction that we could ever face knowing that God is in control and He's brought us there for our good. Now again, the devil says it's not for your good. He's hurting. He's killing. He's destroying you. We got the Word of God. It may not be may not be good for me right now. It may be affliction. But in the end, works out to the good and them that are saved. The benefit of their life. We'll stop right there. Anything on your heart?